wow, this is what it's like up here. <laughs> da <-dunch. sighs> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. A story of faith. I was raised by hippies. It's kind of like being raised by wolves, but wolves are a bit cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> my parents were hippies living on the beach in Maui when I was born. They had escaped the love cult here in Seattle. And there was a little Pentecostal church with an old Hawaiian lady there that would feed the hippies who lived on the beach. And they would go and they would get free food. And my mom and my dad got saved. Amen. I could talk louder. Right? Is that better? Is that better? Thank you. <laughs> and after a couple years, they moved to California, and there was a little church by the name of Calvary Chapel. This uh, was a church that would let the hippies come in. And so they started going to this church with this bald-headed guy who would talk about Jesus, and it got so big that they had to get a tent that's one of the little kids running around there. And then they got so big, they, they got the acreage and they got the building. And I believe Kevin, that's where I first met you, 1976. <laughs> a little guy, a little younger than you at the time. You do? <laughs> and there was a guy there who would write tracks. His name was Greg Laurie. And my parents had a whole bunch of these tracks, and we'd give them out, even as little kids, my brother and I. And one day I was reading it at eight years old, and I read it all the way through. And at the end, there was an invitation to give your life to the Lord. And I read it, and I meant it, and I did it. Gave my life to the Lord, amen. Thank you, Lord, for great glory. And so I grew up in Calvary Chapel, grew up as part of the church there. And at 17, my grandmother, a wonderful woman of faith, she offered to pay for me to go to Bible college. And I went off to Bible college, and for my first semester at 17, I wasn't the most mature, and I didn't do the best job. But about seven years later, I got to go back, and I actually graduated, and I met my beautiful wife. And we got married there at Bible College. And she asked me right before we were getting ready to get married, John, do you ever want to be a pastor? And I answered, H-E, double hockey sticks, no. <laughs> I didn't say it that way, and I meant it. I meant it. Been doing worship for years, and uh, I was comfortable with that. Had an opportunity after uh, we got out of Bible college. We uh, had a little boy and got to go start a Calvary Chapel down in Australia. Was the worship leader. Got to be an elder down there. It was great. Did it for a couple years. And then the Lord brought us back to California. I jumped into business full time. And after about five, six, about seven years of that, I looked up and I was like, Lord, I didn't go to Bible college to do this. Quit my job, sold the house. We moved out to Arizona. And I sat there for about six months and I just said, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'll do it. And I meant it. And someone came up to me and said, hey, we've got a little Christian school. Can you work on the computers for us? I learned computers in Bible college. Sure, I'll come help you. Hey, can you go ahead and uh, teach some kids how to play guitar? Been playing guitar for years. I'm glad to do it. You know, I've made a couple of bucks doing that. And one day, 
I'm walking out of the classroom at that little Christian school in Arizona, and this guy walks up to me as I'm walking out, and he comes up to me and he says, hey, do you know anybody who can be a worship leader? Lord, whatever you want me to do. And I go, yeah, I can be a worship leader, no problem. He goes, do you know anybody who could be a youth pastor? Yeah, <laughs> I could do that too. And within less than a month, I became the youth pastor at this little church in Arizona. About eight months later, this senior pastor who had invited me to come do this, he resigned. And the elder at the time came to me and he said, what are you going to do, John? And I said, I'll do it all. And they made me the senior pastor. And I got to do it for six years in that desert. <laughs> and, and it was a desert. And uh, it, it was a time, you know, it's funny. It's so often when you're young, you can look up here and say, wow, I could do it better than that pastor. That guy just, oh my gosh, if only I could be in charge, I would have. Well, the Lord stuck me in that spot. And he, and he taught me something. He taught me mercy. I needed mercy. And it was a good thing. And at the end of that six years, the church did a really neat thing. They provided us with a year sabbatical, paid. Thank you, Lord. And at the end of that uh, six years, we were deciding what we wanted to do. And I had grown up part of my life up here on Bainbridge Island, and I missed the rain. And so we came up here, and we came up here for a year. And during that year, we moved from the, the church we were going to down in Federal Way up to Calvary Chapel. Wanted to be back in Calvary. Thanks for having us. But uh, we're kind of stuck in the back, right? You've been a pastor for a while, a worship leader for 20-odd years. You're just kind of ready to step, sit in the back, especially when you're on sabbatical. And the day the sabbatical was over, boom, the Lord gave me a job right here in Kent. And that week, my son came up to me and he said, Dad, we're going to the park today. Can I bring a friend? And I said, all right, I'll bring a friend. Or you can bring one. And he said, well, you got to meet his dad. I'm like, all right, no problem. You know, just kind of hang back. I hadn't really met anybody. Just stuck in the background. He said, well, my friend's name is Titus. His dad's name is Kevin. And I'm all, Pastor Kevin. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so at the end of that year, the Lord said, you know what, John? It's time to take a, a, a break from your rest and your peace and get back into the mix. So Kevin and I met, and he said, hey, uh, I said, Kevin, what, what do you want me to do? And he said, can you do uh, worship up here? So for the last year, I've been doing worship. And shoot, the, the Sabbath was over about a year ago. And they, they've uh, provided an opportunity for us to jump into the word. Enough about me. Let's get into Moses. Chapter 11, verse 23. What is so cool about this passage of scripture is previously we've been looking at Abraham. We've been looking at Enoch. We've been looking at Noah. And I don't know about you, but I don't really think the Lord's ever going to come to me and say, John, build an ark. Right? He's never going to destroy the world that way. I don't believe he's going to take me in a chariot of fire like Elijah or take me away like Enoch, except maybe all of us when the rapture comes. Amen, Lord, come. I don't believe that I'm going to have a child at 100 years old. Don't want one. 
But now we make a transition from these men of faith, the hall of faith, where the Joe Montanas, the Babe Ruths, but the men of real faith, the real hall of fame, and we move it into a man that shows in these five steps his faith, and this is where the faith, like the rubber, meets the road, where we have an opportunity to follow in the same type of faith steps that he took. So let's read it. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. And by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pas passing pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And by faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. And so, Lord, as we open up this scripture, as we hear your word, as we see this man who you made an example for us, Lord, I pray that you would cause our hearts to hear, our spirits to listen, that we would know what it is you're trying to speak to each one of us individually tonight, and, Lord, that it would change us and cause us to go out and be different. We thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. First one, let's go ahead and move over to, why don't you hit it when you put your notes out of order? There you go. Exodus chapter two. What I like about this start here is realistically, it's not even talking about Moses' faith. Verse 1 of chapter 2, and a man of the house of Levi went off and took his wife, a yeah, that is, a wife, a daughter of Levi, and so the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood far off to know what would be done with him. And then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. And then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And so the maiden went and called the child's mother. And then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. The parents started Moses in his path of faith. And the Lord, a little too close, the Lord used the parents' faith because 
Pharaoh had said, hey, kill all the Hebrew males. They were afraid because all the Hebrews were, were growing up. They were becoming a strong nation. The Lord was blessing them. The midwives, they weren't paying attention to Pharaoh's decree to go ahead and kill all of them. He said, we're going to kill them all. And the parents looked at this baby, and they saw him, and they knew he was beautiful. And they had faith. And I tell you, as a parent, how many here are parents? You guys know what it's like. You look at your children and you say, oh my gosh, that, my kid's going to go to school and there's bullies. Or you look at the crib and you're like, I've heard of crib death. Or you, you look at TV and oh, they can't watch that. All the things, this entire world is designed to kill our children. It's designed to drag them away and lure them away for their destruction. And here, it was a literal destruction. And the parents looked at, the, at Moses and they said, what are we going to do? And so they built the little boat, they stuck him in the river. Lord, we give him to you. He's dead either way. Put him near where the Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe. Not a bad idea. Moses' sister's sitting over there. The Pharaoh's daughter comes down. She's kind of waiting to see what Pharaoh's daughter's going to do. And Pharaoh's daughter has compassion. The sister runs up. Hey, you want this baby? I know, buddy, know somebody who can nurse it. Moses' mom ended up getting paid to take care of Moses. Annie, would you like to get paid to take care of our boys? <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> the Lord wants to use us as parents, as aunts and uncles, as grandparents, as godfathers, as friends of friends who have kids in our children's lives. Our ability to impose, to endow, to put faith into our kids' lives is an opportunity that the Lord will say, yes, open up that door because not only am I going to bless those kids, I'm going to bless you as a result. Wow, that's how it works in God's kingdom. So how do we start with faith? Like my grandma did. My grandma, she would tell me, she'd say, John, in her southern Alabama drawl, God gave you to me. A little hippie child, wasn't even really hers. Long story, I won't get into it. And at 17, she sent me off to Bible college by faith. The Lord has given this child to me, and I'm going to send him there. And you know what? I blew it the first time I went. Lord, forgive me. And seven years later, called me up. I'm up here on Vashon Island working at K2, making snowboards. She says, John, do you want to go back to Bible college? Really, Nani? That's what I called her. You'd let me? And she sent me back. I remember the, the day I got to introduce Annie to her. We was going to get married, and the week after we got married, she passed away. But, 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 she got to see that the Lord would bring me through Bible college, and she got to see that I got to marry a godly woman, and by her faith, my entire life was changed. And I sincerely, honestly believe, as a cloud of witness, she's looking down. I can't tell you many times I say, Lord, I wish that she would know what's going on, that I got to become a pastor because of what she did. I believe she does. Amen. 
our faith, number one, affects other people, especially the children. As we move on to the second verse, verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I've heard that the the actually should not be there, that this is actually a title that kind of like the Duke of Earl, Sir Paul McCartney, I don't know, probably not a good one, but a royal phrase that would be used for somebody who is in line to be king or pharaoh in Egypt. We read in the word that Moses was raised in all of the culture, in the education, in the elite royal of the Egyptian society. He was being set up, he was being groomed to be in charge. But choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And we can just move a little bit earlier in the chapter to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It's page 1380. Who had this verse? I don't remember. Greg, did you have this one? This one through three? Lowell, is this you? Oh, is it Rick? Oh, I miss Rick. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Moses said, he made a conscious decision, I am not going to take the riches of Egypt. And what is Egypt always a symbol of in the word? The world. Who said it? Good job. Egypt is always the world. So we can replace the word Egypt with world. Moses was not going to take the riches of the world in place of what the Lord would have for him with the sufferings of the people of Israel. I play uh, Monopoly, actually Pokemon Monopoly with my kids. And we'll talk about it, you know, and my son's got all the 500s and the 100s and all the properties. And I, I talk to him and I say, boys, if next year the U.S. government was going to trade out $1, $5, $20, $100 bills for Monopoly money, what would you do? <laughs> they did what any one of us would do, right? You'd go to Walmart. You go to Toys R Us and you go pick up every single Monopoly set you could possibly buy for 25 bucks or 50 bucks. And at the end of the year, you'd open up the boxes and I've, 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 you trade in what wouldn't mean anything for something that is real. And that's what Moses did. He said, you know what? I'm going to take these things that are passing. My, my, my hippie dad, my bike would get stolen it's all going to burn. I hated it when he would say that. I wanted my bike. But it's all going to burn. And we get so caught up. I get so caught up in the bills and, oh, I just need a little bit of savings. And, oh, I just want a house and a white picket fence and a car that doesn't ever break down. And, 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 and I get caught up in it. And I know better. I know better. I know better. But 
just like Moses, we have the opportunity to be reminded, thank you, Lord, even tonight, that the things out there, the things in my wallet, the clothes I wear, none of it means anything except for, don't forget, it does mean something because I can trade it all in for something that's real. I can take my time. Oh, it's precious to me, especially when it's sleep. I can take my money. I can take my attitude. Get out of my way. And I can trade it in, which means so little, for something that's going to mean so much for so long, eternity. It's going to be gold and riches and treasure that is real. But we don't see it yet. Just like Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, the thing hoped for but not yet seen. You know what? I am convinced, just like Moses was, that it is worth to give everything in this world and trade it for something that's going to be real. Rubber meets the road, faith. Want a little conviction here? What do you spend your money on? What do you spend your time on? I'm going to point this way because I got three coming back at me, right? I'm not a pastor anymore. I don't think about this stuff like I used to. Boy, thank you, Lord, because when you teach, you really learn it, right? What has been my goal? What has been our attitudes? What has been our time? Now, in some ways, I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are here on a Wednesday night. You're giving your time up. But we need to be reminded what is really important? I remember teaching years ago. I read something. I don't have the verse in front of me. I, maybe you'll remember one of you guys. You guys know verses way better than I do. Where the Lord said, give everything. Give everything to the rich man. Sell all you have and give it. And then, then you'll be saved. Well, yeah. I mean, I might tithe occasionally. Everything, everything. Moses gave everything, gave it all away. He went and lived in the desert. I've lived in the desert, it's not fun. I made six years. Next step, how am I doing time? Good. Verse 27, by faith, he, Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. We've got to go back to this one. This is Exodus 2, 11 through 15. Because you know what? Moses, great guy. I mean, honestly, the, the Hebrews, they exalted him higher than Abraham, higher than Noah, higher than the others. He was the lawgiver. He was the man who delivered them, the deliverer. The meekest man on earth, he even said it. But Moses, when he wrote this account, it's different than the way that the Lord wrote it. Kind of cracked me up, to, to be honest. If you go to Exodus chapter 2, 11. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. He already made the decision, I'm not going to be part of the Egyptians anymore. And so he looked this way and that way 
And when he saw no one, there was somebody, he killed the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? And then he said, who made you the prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Oops. And so Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Now, if I go back to Hebrews, it doesn't say it that way. It says, for he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Which one's true? Is this one of the great contradictions in the Bible? Of course not. In Exodus chapter 2, you see Moses' version through the Holy Spirit. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, you see how God looks at the faith of Moses. Moses chose to no longer be a citizen of Egypt and said, I'm out of here. Now, mitigating circumstances. He killed a guy. He had to run. Warrants out for his rest. The Lord used it to move Moses out. Now, Moses had said in his heart, I am no longer an Egyptian. I am now a Hebrew. One of his Hebrew brothers was being beaten. Hey, those Russians are beating up on that American citizen. I'm going to go in and help, he's thinking. And what's so beautiful here, what is so awesome and so amazing, thank you, Lord, because I am so aware of how sinful I am. I don't know you well enough to say, hey, I know you're a sinner. I mean, I know you are, but I don't know what they are, right? <laughs> I don't have a clue. You could say you're sinless, and I really couldn't argue the fact. But I am so self-aware. Moses was so self-aware. He feared the wrath of Pharaoh, but he made the decision in the depths of his heart. He said, I am no longer an Egyptian. I am now a man of the Hebrews. And the Lord accounted it unto him as righteousness. Hey, Moses, I don't look at your fear. I count this as you having left and you've declared yourself as a citizen. And what have we done? We said, you know what? I give up my citizen card. I don't want to be part of this world anymore. I am now a stranger in a strange land. I am now a man looking for a kingdom that is not here. I'm looking for a kingdom in the future. Rubber meets the road faith. You know what? I am no longer a citizen of this world. When I was reading 1127, it really hit me. If you read this with me, by faith, insert your name here. Read it with me. By faith, John. By faith, forsake the world not fearing the wrath of my parents, my friends, my wife, my husband, my boss, my kids. For I endure 
at seeing God, Jesus, my Savior, my King, who is invisible. As you read that, 1127, stick your name there. Stick that person, that thing that would keep you from wanting to be a stranger in a strange land. And remember that it's God that even though he's invisible to us now, man, he's present everywhere. Remember, we need to grow faith. That's how we do it. I wish I could throw a football. I can barely coach flag football. I tried. I will never make the Hall of Fame in baseball. But you know what? I am, I am convinced that I will be in the Hall of Faith in God's kingdom. And you will too if we follow these steps. Next one. Number four, verse 28 of chapter 11. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Passover. Okay, Moses essentially heard what God said in the 10th plague. And if you didn't want your firstborn son to die, you would follow the intricate steps of Passover. We're not going to get into what that all means right now. And if you did these steps, held the lamb, slaughtered it, then your son would be saved. One of my favorite scriptures, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. You can turn there. You don't have to if you don't want to. So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Who's heard it before? We all have. We've said it, especially in these uh, last few chapters. Luke 28, verse 17. It's interesting how it segues into it. But he, Jesus, said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Faith, the faith that Moses showed here, and I, I honestly say this is one of the harder ones to do, is that we hear the word of God and we go out and keep it. What is the result if we keep the word of God? What was the result here in chapter 11, verse 27? Anyone spit it out? What was it? I'm sorry? Life. What is the result had he not listened to the word of God? Death. Pretty simple, right? If we were to walk out tomorrow and say, hey, I'm going to obey the word of God because there's death if I don't and there's life if I do. Pretty obvious rewards, especially in this particular case. But I've got to admit, <laughs> three fingers pointing back there always are there are things that I know to do the things that the Lord has specifically told me and I will ignore even worse I will disobey and here's the one the fourth step in when the faith meets the road how I keep what the Lord has told me what I like and thank you, Lord, for this. Is when we read it in Hebrews, the Lord doesn't even say that Moses feared. He didn't fear. Doesn't talk about Moses being a murderer. Doesn't talk about the times that Moses failed. The times that Moses said, no, Lord, I can't speak. You got to have Aaron speak for me. 
He doesn't talk about the times where he sought to kill Moses because he hadn't circumcised his children like he was supposed to. When I read through Hebrews in the Hall of Faith, I don't see any of that. Now, if I go to look at Barry Bonds, if he ever makes it into the Hall of Faith, there's going to be a little asterisk next to his name, right? Anybody baseball player fans are going to know, yeah, shaking your head. There is no asterisk next to Moses' name here. And thank you, Lord, there will not be an asterisk next to my name and next to yours. Be encouraged. John, stop talking about not obey the word. I, I'm with you. And it encourages us us to do so, but we're forgiven when we don't. Thank you, Lord. Lastly, ooh, I'm going to make it in time. That's rare for me. I'm one of those long-winded pastors. Verse 29, ex-pastors. <laughs> by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. And here we go again, just like when this particular section started, it's about Moses, but who did it start with? The faith of Moses' parents. And now it goes back into the end, whose faith is it talking about? They. Now it includes Moses, don't get me wrong, we're still counting Moses, he's the figurehead, but realistically it's counting up to three million Israelites, plus or minus, that were at the sea. They, they've gone out of Egypt, they've gotten all of the goods they're heading out, and the Lord said, no, don't go that way because, you know what, they might be afraid of war. Let's head over here to the Red Sea. It's a trap. They head over to the edge of the Red Sea. They're all sitting there, and then Pharaoh says, you know what? Now he's mad. His son's been killed. All the army, their sons have been killed. A lot of them have probably been killed, their firstborn sons also. And they roused the, the army, they get the chariots out, and they're going to wipe the Israelites out. And they come out to go do it, and God stops them. Fire by day, cloud by night. Did I have that in the right order? Cloud by day, fire by night, sorry. <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> and in Exodus 14, we see there are three things the Lord says here. We're not going to go there. You can read it if you want. It's a little long. But in particular... What I noticed is in Exodus 14.4, and feel free to turn there if you like, but there's a couple reasons that the Lord brought the children of Israel to that place in between the Red Sea and the army of Pharaoh. In 14.4, it says that God desired that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. He had a purpose. He said, I want to let the world, the Egyptians know, I am God. Powerful. But then you move down a little bit and you go to 14, 14, and he speaks to Moses and he says to tell the people that the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. The Lord had three things he wanted to show when he allowed the Israelites in this last step of faith that we see listed in the book of Hebrews for Moses. Number one, I want to show the world through this action of faith who I am. Number two, I want to show 
my children, then I fight for you. And lastly, I want you to hold your peace. I want you to have peace. Anybody here go to work today? I had a bad day today. It was rough. I tell you, this last week, preparing for this message, thanks a lot, Kevin. It has been a lot of spiritual warfare. And today, it has been more brutal than it's been, I think, since I've started there. But you know what was so neat? Thank you, Lord. As I was sitting in the owner's office discussing how the decision I made was not what they wanted, When I was responding, I had to go up to Seattle today, and, and they're sending me emails saying, who dropped the ball? And I'm responding on my phone, wasn't me. Maybe. And you, you've got that, I want to explain myself. I want to fight for myself. I want to show that, you know what, I'm a good employee, and I'm trying to do a good job here. And it hit me what I had been learning all this previous week as I've been studying. The Lord fights for me. The Lord is my peace. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. Now, one of the, the really cool things I saw as I was looking at this too, Moses is standing up here, a man of faith. Three million people that as we look through the next 40 years of them wandering through the desert, how many of them made it into the promised land? Two, right? Two, maybe their families. I don't remember if they had families or not. Two of them. Even Moses didn't make it in until later. These people were not people of faith. But they are listed here in the hall of faith. And you may say as you're sitting down in your chair right now, oh, I'm not really a person of faith. The Lord's given me some gifts. We all have gifts. Everybody in this room, I was talking to my mom last week. She said, I don't know what my gifts are. Man, I could list them. Oh, my gosh, her endurance in the Lord, her ability to clean the house. Man, it's amazing. <laughs> gifts, we all have them. I was looking through gifts not too long ago. One of my favorites, one, is the gift of hospitality or giving. I love hanging around people who have that gift. <laughs> the gift of love. Oh, I want to be a man who has the gift of love. I mean, we could go down the list. This is not a study on the gifts of the Spirit. But you know what you want to do? We want to do in this room, and I forget this sometimes. Hey, I meet you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. See you later. I'm going to go. I want to hang around people who have gifts. And you know what? Hanging around a person who has the gift of faith is a roller coaster adventure. It is something that the Lord will use. He says, I want to use you. I want to use the faith that I have built up in you. And remember, faith is something, not like the other gifts of healing or tongues or whatever gift you may want to bring up. There's three that last into eternity. What are they? Love, hope, and faith. The faith that the Lord is building into us now as we follow these simple five steps is going to last for eternity. We are going to grow and be built in it. And you find some people who have been around the Lord for 30 odd years. Oh, you lost your job today? Yeah. wonder what the Lord's going to do. Oh, there's no money in the bank? Okay, Lord, let's do it. And to be around that type of person rubs off on you. 
to be around the type of person, man, I tell you, there was a time in Bible college, a homeless person would come up to me, want some money, I'd be like, yeah, you get a job, you're going to spend it on drugs, and I don't even want, you know, and, and I had a buddy with me, oh, I'm going to go to the bank, I'll get him some money. Came back, he's all, John, you talk to him. I'm like, you know what, you have the, I was awful, Lord, forgive me. Little self-righteous punk. He comes back and he gives him money. And the Lord's done a work in my heart. Last time I went to Seattle with the boys, I gave them each 20 bucks. Find somebody to give some money to. Not my worry whether they're going to do or what they're going to do with it. You know what? It's me. It's my heart that needs to change. I hung around a guy who had a gift of hospitality and giving. And you know what? Rubbed off on me a little bit. Hang around a person who has the gift of love. You know what? You might find that you love people in spite of who they are. Hang around somebody with the gift of faith, and man, you will see the heavens open because the Lord wants to declare, I am God to the world. And he wants to show that he will fight for you, and he will give you peace. Amen? Let's stop there. It's a good place. Lord, what a wonder you are to hear your word and to have the possibility that we might too be in your hall of faith. Lord, that you would take delight in us. Lord, that you would want to honor us as your children. Lord, I pray that every person in this room tonight would not only understand and know better what faith is, but Lord, that each one of us, that you would pour out your gifts. Lord, that you would pour out opportunities for us to show your gifts to others. And Lord, in the end, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Thank you. Hey, would you...